Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. VSIN, the sports betting network. Scott Sadenberg back here with you on the look ahead here on VSIN, the sports betting network. As we inch closer and closer to the conclusion of the NFL regular season, week 18 is here, and there are opportunities to make some money a variety of ways. We obviously have the prop market with player incentives and with teams that need to win for playoff, just berths or positioning, perhaps we can take advantage of the spreads in these games. To help me break it all down, we welcome in our betting analyst. You read him every single morning in your subscriber emails. He is Adam Burke. Adam, what's going on, man? Happy New Year. Hey, Scott. Happy New Year, man. I hope you had a great holiday season with your family, and I'm excited to talk Week 18 here. It's You know what? It's a, such a fun week to me in the NFL because I think there's op- a lot of opportunities to make money. And one of my favorite ways in Week 17 of the season, which now is Week 18 here, is the prop market because this is the chance for players to achieve contract bonuses. So you can look at certain guys like I kept I keep bringing up the numbers like Stefan Diggs needs six catches to get a mil, one and a half million dollars. If his prop opens up at anything under six catches, you got to hammer the over at him. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think there are a lot of things you can look for in terms of player props, not just the guys with the incentives. And, you know, you can find those by digging on Twitter and all of that. But. You know, guys want round numbers. You know, if they're sitting on nine touchdowns, they want a tenth. You know, if they're sitting on 925 receiving yards, they want to get to 1,000. You know, if they're sitting on 1,150 rushing yards, they want to get over 1,200. You know, guys want to get to these round numbers, get to these benchmarks for themselves, for future contract negotiations, for all kinds of different reasons. So, absolutely, definitely some equity out there in the prop market. One thing I will say, though, Scott, that I think is really important to keep in mind You've got some games here where you got some really big favorites. Kansas City, a double-digit favorite. Uh, Buffalo, a double-digit favorite. Indianapolis, obviously a three-score favorite against Jacksonville. I'd be real careful if you're thinking about a Jonathan Taylor prop because maybe he doesn't play mm. in the second half or maybe he winds up with a really low number of carries. Josh Allen, maybe he doesn't play the second half in that Jets and Bills game, and the weather also looks pretty bad for that one as well. So keep that in mind. If you're looking at these player props, Think about the fact that some of these guys may not play in the second half or at a minimum will have their snap counts kind of monitored. Would, would that then take you off of some of these heavy favorites because maybe there's a backdoor cover uh, with the starters possibly not playing at the end? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I kind of like the Jets a little bit anyway, which is a, kind of a scary statement in <laughs> and of itself. But yeah, I mean, they're getting 16 points in a game where if the Bills are up two touchdowns at halftime, you know, are they really going to keep pushing in the second half? Are they just going to hand the ball off, not get Josh Allen into any trouble? Does Josh Allen even play in the second half? Yeah, absolutely. I think those things have to be considerations. And if you like some of those big favorite types of teams, maybe you play a first quarter, maybe you play mm. a first half, something like that, where you know they're going to try to get ahead so that they don't have to be you know, in any kind of pressure cooker situation late where they do have to put some of their guys at risk. That's a great point, uh, especially when it comes to these heavy favorites that need to win, like the Colts against the Jaguars. You know what's crazy, Adam? The Colts have not won in Jacksonville since September of 2014. Yeah, I, I think that trend comes to an end this weekend. <laughs> it's wild when you look at things like that. Um, and another trend that I saw, and, and I don't know, does this uh, does this game kind of fit the bill for you as, as maybe playable? The Dolphins have beaten the Patriots six of the last eight times that they've played in Miami. Pats are laying under a touchdown here. Do you expect New England to win knowing what's on the line for them, or can the Dolphins keep it close? You know, I certainly expect New England to win. I mean, they are a six-and-a-half-point favorite here, and, and realistically speaking, I know Miami started 1-7, and seven, put together that seven-game winning streak. They beat virtually nobody yeah. during that winning streak, and then last week we saw them play a real team in the Tennessee Titans, and they didn't really look the part in that one. So, I think they could cover in the sense that they're getting six and a half in a game with a low total of 40 and their defense is still pretty solid. And obviously Brian Flores you know, knows a lot about Bill Belichick, knows a lot about what he wants to do. So maybe that kind of keeps the game close. But, you know, Miami just they have to prove it to me against a good team. And New England is a good team. And I just I don't know if I could take the six and a half with Miami here. But that is a game where I think you've got some live betting opportunities again in the sense that is New England ahead early. Do they, does Mac Jones throw the ball 10 times in this game? You know, who knows what happens for New England if they get the lead. So maybe there's a live betting opportunity to be had there. Speaking of the Tennessee Titans, uh, I believe at plus 450 to win the AFC, they provide the best value. And the only reason is because they're only going to have to win two games. Uh, they're going to have the first round by because I don't expect them to lose to the Texans. So at plus 450, I, I almost feel like I have to pull the trigger on the Titans. I'm not saying that they're going to beat the Chiefs or they're going to beat the Bills, but the number just seems too good to pass up for a team that is going to have the only buy available. Yeah, you know, here's the thing, and, and this is where I think it's really important to kind of take an extended look at what these lines are going to look like in the playoffs because you may run into a situation where a money line rollover is just a better play with Tennessee if they run into let's say Buffalo in that divisional round game then play Kansas City even though they're at home they're an underdog in both of those games as far as I'm concerned yeah I know they'll get Derrick Henry back the defense is is pretty solid overall but they will be a home underdog in both of those games to where if you bet them on the money line in the divisional round against Buffalo then you roll that over bet the bet amount plus your winnings amount mm -hmm. on that game in the AFC championship, you probably end up with a better price than plus 450. So it's one of those things to me where I, I kind of have to project that out a little bit and see if I can get some more value just doing a money line rollover. But to your point, I mean, look, they will be at home. You know, they do have that strong running game. So if there's bad weather in Nashville, doesn't really impact them a whole lot. Whereas it could impact Buffalo who has to throw the football could impact the chiefs who prefer to throw the football. 
So I think that there is something to be said about Tennessee, you know, having some equity, even though I'm not a big fan of them, just based on the situation and based on, you know, what could happen if there is bad weather in the postseason. I think the numbers would have to be minus 150 to do the money line rollover to get, I think, plus 450, actually, right? Because if you bet 100 and win 150, and then you bet 250, you would win 450? Am I, is my math right? Ah, I got to figure this thing out. But yeah, I think that's I what it it's, it's after. It's after midnight, yeah. so it's close enough for me. But <laughs> it is one of those things where, like I said, they will be a dog in both of those games, even though they are at home. Yes, so I agree with you. That. Know, it is yep. a situation where I, you, it's something where you want to do the math, where you want to mm-hmm. make sure. Uh, and, you know, we've we've got plenty of time to do that here before they actually end up playing. Yeah. But, you know, again, it, it's one of those things to me where. Tennessee is a team that I haven't really liked all year long. Mm -hmm. That plus 450 does show a little bit of disrespect for them based on their statistical profile and also the fact that you've got the Bills and the Chiefs to probably contend with. Um, But, you know, I know Gil Alexander really likes them. He's liked them throughout the year. Some other people I respect like them a lot. And some other people I respect don't like them at all. Mm -hmm. So they're a very polarizing team going into the postseason. Yeah, and if they wind up being a favorite, well, then there's opportunities to hedge out and things like that. Uh, I saw, well, let's be honest yep. too. I mean, maybe Buffalo doesn't win. That's you know, that, in, that's in ab- the wild card absolutely weekend. a possibility. Absolutely, I, and maybe the Chiefs get knocked off. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that. Well, stranger things have certainly happened this year. That's for sure. Yeah, you could have the Chargers going in there, or the Colts, or maybe even the Raiders. Who who knows? Uh, the NFL playoffs could be widely unpredictable. Uh, something that's definitely unpredictable is the weather, right? I mean, having being a weatherman is the best job in the world because you could be wrong and nobody cares. Uh, but you wrote a blurb, uh, I think it was, yeah, I think it was on Wednesday here, about some games that could be affected by weather this weekend. Why don't you elaborate on that? Yeah, you know, ironically enough, I actually wanted to be a broadcast meteorologist growing up, uh, wow. and then I realized I sucked at science, so it <laughs> wasn't going to work out for me. Uh, but, you know, weather is definitely something that I, I look at in college football and the NFL every single week. You absolutely have to. You know, weather not only dictates what could happen with the offensive game plan, but also you get ahead of some of that totals line movement. And, you know, fortunately for me, I, I used the weather for that Bengals and Browns game. Wound up playing that total earlier today. I think it was 42, 41 and a half, something like that. Wound up playing the under in that one just before Joe Burrow was announced that he wasn't going to play. So got some line equity in that one. But it's because I looked at the weather forecast, saw that in true Cleveland fashion. It's not going to be particularly nice on Mm. Sunday, January 9th along the shores of Lake Erie. So that's one where I did catch uh, under 41, actually, in that one. But this Jets and Bills game, you know, we talked about already. This total has been gradually coming down over the last few days. It's down to 41 now where you've got winds sustained of 20 to 25 miles per hour, gusts up into the 30s, could be rainy after they got a foot and a half of snow in the middle of the week. So you know, that bipolar Buffalo weather definitely rearing its ugly head here in January. But wind is the biggest factor for totals, and it's going to be very windy. So this is a total that's actually dropped about three and a half, four points throughout the week where it did come down again today. And I think a lot of times people that bet based on the weather do start looking at that on Wednesday because about 72 hours out, I think they feel like they've got some more confidence in that forecast. Uh, there should be some wind possibly in the game between the Giants and Washington. I know it's a low total, but when you combine wind with inept offenses like the New York football Giants, I would think under is the only way to go in this game. 
Yeah, I actually like Washington. I got yeah. the six and a half early in the week. I laying seven is is a little bit dicier, but yeah, it could be a game with some wind certainly, and then also New England and Miami. A uh, game that looks like it could have some win considerations as well. Very interesting. Adam, do me a favor. Hang on, because I want to ask you about the College Football Playoff National Championship game coming up on Monday, okay? All right, sounds good. There he is, Adam Burke, our sports betting analyst right here at VSIN. You read him every single morning in your daily subscriber emails, Burke's Betting Blurbs. You follow him on Twitter at Skating Tripods. I'm Scott Seidenberg. You follow me at Scott's On Air. We'll get into the National Championship game and a little more NFL, maybe awards discussion coming up next here this is the look ahead right here on vsin you can follow us all on twitter at vsin live it's the sports betting network As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. This is The Look Ahead on VSEN, the sports betting network. It's The Look Ahead here on VSEN. I'm Scott Seidenberg, rejoined now by our VSEN sports betting analyst. He is Adam Burke, always on Twitter, at Skating Tripods. You read them every single morning. Burke's betting blurbs in your daily subscriber email. Of course, point spread weekly in VSEN. Dot com. Uh, let's just wrap up the NFL conversation, Adam, with some of the awards here. Uh, Joe Burrow with a phenomenal uh, past month, if you will. It's not just the past two weeks. It's really the past four or five games for Joe Burrow. He is now right there with Dak Prescott to win comeback player of the year. But with Burrow not playing in week 18, can Dak put up enough of a performance, depending on how much he plays, to secure this award, Comeback Player of the Year. You know, I think this one's interesting because something that we have to handicap in terms of the awards market and something that you just alluded to, Scott, there is a recency bias element to this award. You know, Dak was really, really strong early on in the year. The Cowboys have been kind of pedestrian throughout the second half of the season, especially on the offensive side, whereas Cincinnati has very much rounded into form. They've realized over the last few weeks that they need to be aggressive with Joe Burrow in the passing game, and they have been. That is the problem, though, is you know Joe Burrow won't play this week, so he doesn't have that last opportunity to sort of make his case for the award. Also, too, you know, the, the way in which Dak Prescott was hurt is a lot more memorable. You know, I mean, ACLs are obviously a big deal, but it feels like they happen every single game in the minds of a lot of people. They don't, but that's kind of the you know, perception of the ACL injury. Meanwhile, we all remember Dak Prescott's foot just kind of hanging there. <laughs> so, 
you have to handicap the voters. You have to handicap the electorate when it comes to these types of things. And I think because of the nature of Prescott's injury, he still ends up winning the award. But Burrow's obviously made his case with how well he's played down the stretch. Uh, a correlation to Joe Burrow is Zach Taylor, coach of the year futures. He has now become the betting favorite to be the coach of the year. I think it's a three-team race, a three-player race, coach race, if you will. Uh, Zach Taylor, Matt LaFleur, and Mike Vrabel. Who ultimately do you think wins this? This is a really tough one. You know, in fact, I kind of talked about this last week with Gil Alexander on primetime action when I filled in that, you know, if you thought the Chiefs were going to beat the, or if you thought the Bengals were going to beat the Chiefs, you should just go ahead and take Zach Taylor plus 750 to win coach of the year. Yeah. And that wound up coming to fruition. And now you've got some equity in that ticket if you're holding it. The question here is, what do the voters put the most emphasis on? Because you've got the number one seed in the NFC in Matt LaFleur, who's got maybe the best quarterback in the NFL in Aaron Rodgers, probably the MVP in Aaron Rodgers. You've got Mike Vrabel, who overcame the Derrick Henry injury to be the number one seed in the AFC while beating Buffalo and Kansas City along the way. And then you've got Zach Taylor. And I think the thing that's going to end up selling this for Zach Taylor is the same thing we saw with Kevin Stefanski last year. To win coach of the year, you have to take a team that wasn't very good and elevate them. The Packers have won 13 games three straight years. Tennessee's been a playoff team. They've been a very good team. Cincinnati has not been. So I think because of that, Taylor winds up winning the award, but I wouldn't be shocked if any of the three guys do. Yeah, I have a, listen, I have a plus 1,000 ticket on Matt LaFleur that I'm just praying comes in. And the only reason why I thought that that was going to be the winner is because I viewed it as... Uh, I don't want to call it a lifetime achievement award, but it's a a, a a culmination of the past three seasons. He This is the first time in NFL history a team has won 13 straight games three seasons ago. And oh, by the way, it's his first ever three years as a head coach. So all he's done since becoming a head coach in the NFL is go 40 and nine, assuming that they win here on Sunday. And I just think him winning the award would be the writers saying, okay, we see you like, we see what you've done. You deserve this honor. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. I mean, certainly, you know, you have to consider all the different narratives that are going to be created by the voters and, and what they're going to weigh the heaviest and, and all of that. And also, too, you know, look, Matt LaFleur had a very tumultuous offseason. You know, he had no idea if Aaron Rodgers was actually going to come back and be his quarterback. They had to prepare Jordan Love sort of on the fly. He wound up navigating the team through that. They did get Rodgers back, who looked awful in week one. Nobody panicked. They figured it out. They still wound up winning 13 games. There, there's a case to be made for all three of these guys, to be sure. Yeah. Uh, offensive player of the year, would you give it to Cup or Taylor, or would you have them both split the award? <laughs> well, that, that would be interesting. That would be really interesting. Uh, you know, look, I think one of the things that's really difficult about handicapping the race between these two guys is that Voters won't give the offensive line for Jonathan Taylor enough credit. They're going to look at what he does as a running back as sort of a one-man show type of thing, whereas with Cooper Cup, someone's throwing him the football. Yes, he has to get open, but it's basically a two-player thing to throw the ball and catch the ball. But people will look at Jonathan Taylor and say, well, he's the one running it. So I kind of think the voters will sort of lean towards Taylor. Again, we'll see how much he winds up playing here this weekend. Even though Cooper Cup, I, I think, deserves it more than Taylor because he's basically rewriting the record books as a wide receiver. He had the Robert Woods injury halfway through the year, and he just wound up elevating his game. So you give him a ton of credit for that. 
I think Taylor wins it, but I think Cup is more deserving of it. You know, it's amazing if Cooper Cup winds up setting the records this weekend, well, specifically the yardage record, Matt Stafford will have the number one and number two most yards in a single season for a wide receiver, Calvin Johnson, who currently holds the record, and Cooper Cup. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and you know, that's another thing with, with Cooper Cup. You know, we sort of, again, have to handicap the voters here. Do they look at Cooper Cup setting that record and say, yeah, but he had an 18th week to do it? You know, he had a yeah, 17th game. Do, yeah. do they sort of, you know, kind of downplay it because of that extra game, which I think is completely unfair, but it is something that voters may end up doing. Let's get to the college football playoff national championship game. It's the rematch between Alabama and Georgia. And I talked about it earlier. There have been the past seven times, Adam, that there has been a bowl game rematch of a regular season game. Uh, the team that lost in the regular season won the bowl game. And even in the BCS national championship game in 2012, Alabama lost to LSU in the regular season. They won the national championship game. It's not going to be that simple, obviously. Uh, but where are you leaning right now between Georgia and Alabama? Well, I think what's interesting here, Scott, is, you know, obviously the volume of tickets on Alabama, which you would expect getting three points. They just won as an outright underdog in the SEC championship game, as you mentioned. But the money is pretty split. So you sort of have one of those pros versus Joes types of setups going on here where you're going to have Georgia money, but the public is going to overwhelmingly side with Alabama, or at least that's what it looks like here so far. I agree that Georgia deserves to be favored. However, I like Alabama plus three in the game. I, I look at what happened in the SEC championship game, and I understand the, the argument of, look, Georgia didn't have to win that game. Alabama did fully understand that. Keep in mind, Georgia was up 10 nothing before Alabama scored 38 of the next 45 points. The problem that I have here is look at the profile of teams that beat Alabama. They've got a mobile quarterback who can improvise and make things happen, or they can outscore Alabama by attacking them through the air. Georgia has neither one of those things. Georgia does not want Stetson Bennett running around, which is what he had to do in the SEC championship game where he got sacked three times. He had seven carries for 11 yards. That's not at all what they want. He had to throw the ball 48 times. That's not at all what they want, but that's what Alabama is going to force them into doing. And so I just think it's a bad matchup for Georgia because they can't out muscle and out physical the Crimson Tide in the trenches like they did with virtually every other team that they played throughout the course of the season. So for me, I think it has to be Alabama here plus the three, uh, but it is one where I'm actually going to try to really attack this game from a prop standpoint. I like Alabama for the game on the spread, but this is the tightest game of the year. This is the most efficient single game market of the year in college football. There's no great edge on the side or total in this one. So for me, it's all about looking at the prop market when those odds end up coming out. We haven't seen a whole lot of them yet. There's a few game props out there sporadically, but the player props that we get over the weekend are what I'm going to look to attack. Yeah, Bowers over. Just bet it every game because <laughs> it seems to come in. Uh, I'm leaning towards... You know, yep. I will say this real quick about Bowers, though. 15 yep. catches in the last two games, 39 catches in the regular season, and it's because Georgia's been forced to throw the football more mm -hmm. based on their two opponents. If Georgia's adjustment here is to want to run the football and get back to what they do, then I don't know what Bowers' number is going to look like. Maybe six and a half, six, six and a half, something like that. 
probably he may go over it, especially because I like Alabama and I figure Georgia's going to have to throw. Mm-hmm. But it will be a fairly high number just because he's had 15 catches the last two games, even though that's not really reflective of his regular season. I think this game goes over, Adam, uh, and, and I'm on Georgia money line. I, I, I'm not comfortable laying the three, but I, I like Georgia to win this game. I really do. Um, but I'm more comfortable in the over, to be honest with you, because I think it's like a 28-24 type of game, and I think it does go over the 52. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at the first game, obviously 65 points in that one, and, and Alabama's going to throw the football. They, they're they going to feel like they have to throw the football to have success, and that's going to create some explosive plays for them, and it's also going to stop the clock if they're incompletions. So I can't disagree with that. I think the over probably is the way to look here, but it'll be interesting to see where this line ends up going as we get to uh, you know the weekend. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Adam, I appreciate the time and the conversation. As always, continue the great work up on vcin.com, Point Spread Weekly, and, of course, Burke's betting blurbs. Thanks, Scott. Have a good night. There he is, Adam Burke. You follow him on Twitter at Skating Tripods. And uh, you'll wake up in the morning and you'll read another Burke betting blurb in your daily subscriber email. And if you're not a subscriber, go to vcin.com and make sure you become one. I'm Scott Seidenberg. It's The Look Ahead here on vcin. This is The Look Ahead on vcin, the sports betting network. VEASAN has a great new offer to help make this your best betting year ever. Our all-new Big Game Big Dance Special provides VEASAN plus all access to everything we do from now through April 5th for only $69. Sign up now and get our daily best bets emails, 24-7 video access, the upcoming Big Game and College Hoops betting guides, plus full access to VEASAN.com with our exclusive betting split breakdowns on every game. It's one of the most exciting betting seasons of the year, so don't miss out on one of the best deals of the year. Visit vcin.com slash big deal to sign up today. Scott Seidenberg back here with you. It is the look ahead here on vcin, the sports betting network. Uh, my thanks to Adam Burke for joining me last segment. Again, follow him on Twitter at skating tripods. And I do agree with one thing that he said about the college football playoff national championship game. I do believe it's a pros versus Joes matchup. And what we mean by that is that the public is going to be on Alabama. The sharp money will come in on Georgia. And we're already seeing that. Like, taking a look at the betting splits for this game, 70% of the bets and 70% of the money, but this is right now, are on Alabama. But With 70% on Alabama, the spread is still three. It hasn't moved. Why? Why hasn't it moved? This is the question I need to know the answer to. It's because I think that there's big money coming in on Georgia. And also because the book doesn't want to move this down to two and a half because then money's going to come in on Georgia. At the two and a half. I think at three, yeah, everyone's going to be on Alabama. And they are, for lack of a better term, a square underdog. Because they're the name brand more so than Georgia. They're led by Nick Saban. They have the national championships to back it up, right? And... Everyone just saw them blow out Georgia in the SEC championship game. And so it's got to be a gift getting three points, right? 
But why are they getting three points? It's because Georgia is a very good team. Much better than what they showed the last time that they played Alabama. And I I, got to believe Georgia wins this game. I really believe Georgia wins. Uh, Alabama was great in that game. They came from behind. Remember, Georgia took a lead in that game. It was, what, 10-0 before Alabama scored, and they got a couple of big pass plays. So this is how the game started out with punt, punt, Georgia field goal, Alabama punt, Georgia touchdown. It's 10-0. Then the big, the long touchdown pass. The 67-yard touchdown pass. Now it's 10-7. Then Alabama marches right down the field, scores another touchdown. All of a sudden, it's 14-10. Alabama gets a field goal. It's now uh, 17-10. Georgia gets a touchdown of a big play of their own. Right? And then they tie the game. But this was the backbreaker. Alabama scoring at the end of the first half. If they go into the locker room tied at 17, I don't know how this game plays out. There's a difference between being down seven, going into the locker room, when Alabama gets the ball to start the second half, and it being a tie game. Because what happened? Alabama double-dipped. They scored at the end of the half to take a seven-point lead, and then they scored on the first possession of the third quarter. And a 17-17 game with how much time left? A minute, 26 seconds, excuse me. A 17-17 game with 26 seconds left in the first half became a 31-17 game. And from that moment, I mean, the game just gets the game just gets away from you. Stetson Bennett throws an interception. Thankfully, for Georgia's sake, nothing happens. Georgia then gets the ball down to the Alabama 19-yard line. But at that point, you can't kick a field goal. You're down 31-17. They go for it, and they don't get it. Turn the football over on downs. Their defense does an an incredible job of stopping Alabama, getting the football back, and then pick six. Stetson Bennett throws an interception, returned 42 yards for a touchdown. Now it's a 38-17 game. This game's over. They follow it up. Georgia gets the football back. They score a touchdown. It's 38-24. Teams exchange punts. Alabama adds a field goal. Georgia goes for it on fourth down late in the game. They don't get it. Final score, 41-24. But you can see it's not as simple as just saying Alabama blew out Georgia. It was really the drive at the end of the first half that changed the entire game. Alabama double-dipped. They turned a tie game into a 14-point deficit. But look at the possessions in the second half. First of all, here's Alabama's possessions in the first half. Punt, punt, 
touchdown, touchdown, field goal, touchdown. So they did a great job of scoring, especially that in the late drives. In the second half, touchdown, punt, 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 field goal. In the second half of that football game, Alabama had one drive of more than five yards, of more than five plays. They went uh, four and out, five and out, three and out, five plays and a touchdown. That was the 55-yarder, so a big play there, touchdown. And then the 12-play drive that led to the field goal. But Georgia's defense played really well. They gave up two big plays, and that was it. The two big plays, the 67-yard touchdown, the 55-yard touchdown, and yes, the pick six. You take away those three plays, Georgia wins the football game. Now, kudos to Alabama for making the plays. Bryce Young, incredible game. And the Alabama receivers did a great job. And the defense did a great job forcing Georgia out of their strength. Georgia unable to run the football, having to rely on Stetson Bennett. But I truly believe that this will be a different outcome. I think what we will see in this game is Georgia's defense not giving up the big play and Georgia's offense being able to sustain drives. I think both teams will score. I think the game goes over. I think it could be a 20, you know, like a 29-26 final. Something like that. I think we're going to get over 52 points. I really do. 31-28. I mean, now it's really high scoring, but you know what I'm saying? Like 28, like yeah, 28-24 would be 52. But that's that's right around there. 28-26. Like I said, 29-26, 30-26, something like that. Maybe even 28-26. How about that? Alabama covers, Georgia wins. Everyone's happy. Well, for me, I go Georgia money line. But that's where I'm going on this game. I, I, I don't think I could be talked out of it. You know, rewatched uh, the game and fast, and fast forward <laughs> uh, here on Wednesday and... That's where I'm going. I'm going with Georgia to win the rematch. And again, the trends. The last seven times that there has been a bowl game or the BCS National Championship game that was a rematch of a game that we had earlier in the season, the team that lost the first game won the second game. And for for Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, they both remember that 2012 National Championship game well. Kirby Smart was the was the Alabama defensive coordinator that year. So they he knows, and Nick Saban obviously knows, that they lost to LSU during the season, and they avenged that loss by winning the national championship game. Both coaches are aware of this. Both coaches probably hammering that point home with their players this week. So I'm going with Georgia. I like the over as well. But one thing I do know for sure is it's going to be an incredible game, and we'll break it down Sunday night going into Monday even further. But that's where I'm going with this game. I'm Scott Seidenberg. Hit me up on Twitter at ScottsOnAir, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. We'll get back into NFL Week 18, plus the action from the NBA, Kyrie Irving's return, 
and the NHL for this Thursday. This is The Look Ahead here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds, it was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Before you make your next bet, be sure to visit vcin.com to check the current betting splits data. This new feature gives you insights on where the money and bets are moving for every game. You'll be able to see where the public is betting based on the number of tickets and where the money doesn't match the public opinion. Data is available for Moneyline, Over, Under, and Against the Spread Bets. Betting splits are another way. VSIN is here to make you a smarter, better year-round. Check out today's betting splits for every game at vsin.com. Scott Seidenberg back here with you. It is The Look Ahead here on VSIN, the sports betting network. Last night on the program, we talked about Kyrie Irving's return to the Brooklyn Nets in Indiana against the Pacers and recommended betting the Brooklyn Nets at minus 6.5. The game actually closed at eight and a half, and the Nets did not cover. They won by eight. So if you got in early, congratulations, you got a victory. If you got in late, that's tough. But the Nets did have to come from behind. They came from 19 points down to win this game. Kyrie Irving shook, shook off a little bit of early rush. He scored 22 points. He was a plus 16, and I think what you saw is what was really a a positive sign for this Brooklyn Nets team that when Kyrie, KD, and Harden are all on the floor together, this is a dangerous team. The one of the most dangerous teams in the NBA. It's why they're the betting favorite to be the NBA champions. Let's take a look though at the schedule. Because remember, Kyrie is only playing on the road. So the next time we will see him is on Monday, next Monday, at Portland, followed by Wednesday, the 12th, at Chicago. Then there's a stretch, two road trips coming up for the Brooklyn Nets, so Kyrie will get extended work. From Monday, January 17th, they start a four-game road trip at Cleveland, at Washington, at San Antonio, and at Minnesota. Then they're home for two games, And then starting on Saturday, January 29th with a game that we will see uh, nationally televised on ABC. I guess that's the start of the NBA's Saturday primetime games. Nets at the Warriors in what very well could be an NBA Finals preview. That starts an extended West Coast trip for the Nets at Golden State, at Phoenix, at Sacramento, at Utah, at Denver. And so Kyrie Irving will be on the floor 
for the Nets in those games. Uh, currently, the Brooklyn Nets are still your favorite to be the NBA champions. Uh, the Golden State Warriors, they are your second favorite to be the NBA champs. Right now, the Nets are at plus 245. The Warriors at plus 550. Taking a look at the lines here for Thursday, the Knicks will take on the Celtics. That game is a pick at Madison Square Garden. The Warriors, coming off a loss here on Wednesday, are three-and-a-half-point favorites at the Pelicans. You have the Grizzlies, a 12-and-a-half-point favorite at home against the Pistons. The Suns are 11-point favorites at home against the Clippers. So just a four-game slate uh, with a TNT doubleheader on Thursday. Knicks-Celtics in the first game and Clippers-Suns in the second game. For your NHL, uh, games on third on Wednesday, there was just two games. It was the Maple Leafs over the Oilers. We gave out that winner last night. I'm mad that I didn't play it myself. Honestly, I just forgot about it. Uh, but Connor McDavid was out, and I thought taking advantage of that would be the move. Uh, what did the line close at? Maple Leafs had to have been favored. They were, oh, minus 320. You kidding me? God, you can't, couldn't even play that. Anyway, um, four to two. So they did cover the puck line if you were... Um, wanting to get involved on that. And then the Penguins with a 5-3 win over the Blues. So both games, well, one game went over. Penguins-Blues went over. Maple Leafs-Oilers pushed because the total was six. And what we have noticed in the NHL is that we're seeing overs since the start of the new year. In fact, since the Christmas break, since the, the teams came back from the Christmas break, there's been an overwhelming number of overs. And you're starting to see the books adjust because looking at the schedule here on Thursday, every game, and there's a, let's see, there's a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 11 games on the schedule. Every single one of them has a total of six or six and a half with the exception of two, one, Predators, Kings is five and a half, Red Wings, Ducks is five and a half. But that's what you're going to start to see now. Totals of six and six and a half. And so, honestly, I'm not afraid to bet some of these overs because that's what's been going on here in the NHL. At some point, if the totals are pretty much all six and a halves, you might have to start wonder if the, uh, wondering if the under is the right move here. But we have six between the Jets Avalanche, Panthers Stars, uh, Blue Jackets Devils. Everything's six, 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 six. Six, 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 six. Start looking down the line here. So the book's adjusting here with these totals. But if you do get five and a halfs, I would say take advantage of them and play the over. We have seen the overs hit at over 70% since January 1st. So that's what's going on here in the NHL. And then, of course, all eyes are on the NFL kicking off on Saturday, two games on Saturday to begin week 18 of the season. And I'm waiting. The prop market should open up on Friday, if not definitely on Saturday. But I'm keeping an eye on it because as soon as these player props open up, I'm running to the counter and I'm playing them. Because when it comes to contract incentives and milestone achievements, there are players that will be chasing numbers. And if the book is off, 
compared to the number needed, I like playing the over. Because let's say Stephon Diggs, he needs six catches to achieve his bonus. If his prop total is under six receptions, I'm clearly going over. The same thing for Rob Gronkowski. He needs seven catches to get his bonus. And maybe his boy Brady's going to hook him up. If the prop on Gronk catches is under seven, I'm going to go over there. A.J. Green needs 10 catches. I'll go over his reception total. Eight, and, and then yardage as well. Gronk needs 85 yards to hit a bonus. A.J. Green needs 75 yards to hit a bonus. How about Rex Burkhead, who needs 103 total yards to hit a bonus? I'm going to play all of these props over, assuming that the book is, is going to line up those numbers that way. Like, if, um, I don't think this is going to be the case, but you're not going to say that the total of, um, you know, rushing and receiving for Burkhead is going to be 102 and a half. It could be. It very well could be. That could be the case. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, now, everyone's going to be focused in on Cooper Cup. Not just because the Rams play the 49ers in one of the most intriguing games of Week 18, but Cooper Cup is chasing two records. Most receptions in a single season and most receiving yards in a single season. He needs 12 catches to break that record. He needs 136 yards to break the receiving yard record. Whatever his prop total is, I'm going to play the over. Because I think he does get the 12 catches. And I think he does get the 136, as crazy as it sounds. And it's not that crazy because he has had a couple of games this year where he's approached, he's had over 130. Um, Last time he played the 49ers, in fact, he had 11 catches for 122 yards. And that was on 13 targets. So if he just catches the other two passes that Matthew Stafford threw to him, and I'd have to go back to the game film to watch if they were catchable balls, but 13 targets, he had 11 catches for 122. If he catches all 13 targets, there's your, uh, or even just 12, there's your um, reception record. And of the 22 yards, he, uh, 22, he needs 12 more yards, or 14 more yards, excuse me. He probably gets it with those extra two catches. So I'm just going to ask Matt Stafford to have the same exact game plan that he had last time they played the 49ers and throw to Cooper Cup. The reason why I think he gets the reception record is because I can see a scenario that there are some plays designed for Cooper Cup to get that record, short screen passes, and of course, my favorite, the shotgun snap pop pass. It's essentially a handoff, but when you pop the ball up in the air, it goes in as a pass and a reception. Hey, coming up this morning on Follow the Money, Billy Chippas, one of the Circa Survivor finalists, is going to be on Follow the Money. Jarrett Bell from USA Today, he's an MVP voter. He'll be on as well. And Mike Palm, VP here at Circa and host of Odds On with Amal Shah, will join Follow the Money this morning. You can follow me, Scott Seidenberg, on Twitter at Scott's on Air, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. If I had to make a pick for Thursday... How about my Rangers here in town in Vegas against the Golden Knights? I'm Scott Seidenberg. It's The Look Ahead here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network.
Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. CNN.